the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch. And hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Construction Big Breakfast. It's another lockdown special uh, from three different locations uh, around the UK. I'm Tip Top Tim Fitch, uh, and welcome again. You've got my guest who is on my left, so on my right, which is Nick Ionetta from Maybe, Maybe Bridges. And my colleague, uh, Ben Pritchard, is on my left uh, on the Teams uh, video. Uh, who's going to? Together, we're going to interview Nick and see what maybe he's been up to uh, over the past year or so. Uh, but of course, uh, I hope everyone else is uh, keeping safe, keeping to the rules, because this is being recorded the week that uh, Dominic Cummins has got himself into some hot water. So, whatever's happened uh, by the time this gets published, because we've got a few in the can, uh, I don't know. But it's obviously uh, a bit sticky for him at the moment. Uh, hope everyone else is keeping well. Anyway, on to the podcast. So, Nick, welcome. Good morning. How are welcome. you? Welcome. And where are you speaking from, Nick? Just so everyone I'm, gets an idea. I'm speaking from Killian, just outside Newport in South Wales. It's a little uh, little town with very rich in Roman and Arthurian history. A uh, great, interesting place. And I've lived here now for now and 20 years. Wow. Well, you must have moved out a few years after, moved in, I say, after a few years after I moved out, because as, as we were saying in the preamble before the podcast, I lived there for about 15 months, uh, back in the day when I was involved in building the Bringlass Tunnel Bypass, you know, the big road that goes into Newport, yeah. and that big roundabout, and the two bridges over the, the Usk uh, on the M4. That's where I... Well, the Mendel gift. Picked up any of the local lingo yet? Uh, just a little bit, just a little bit. My wife is uh, is a, a native Welsh speaker, uh, but I'm afraid it's uh, don't don't speak any. But uh, I picked up a few. Uh, there's a few mannerisms, like over by there, and and, and <laughs> boots them shoes. It's a crutch. I do. I have been known to slip into Welshisms um, quite a bit, which. Uh, which was my Scottish accent, which I haven't left since, I haven't lost since I left Dundee, nigh on uh, thirty years ago now. Um, gives gives a lot of my friends a, a bit a bit of a bit of a laugh. We'd never have known that was a Scottish <laughs> accent. <laughs> so Nick, here's the first question. Everyone gets asked the same one. Now it's be interesting to see whether you picked up any sort of Welsh culture. So of course this podcast is called the Construction Big Breakfast. So Nick. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Well, I've tried lava bread. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, instead, of what I did have was a nice bacon and egg sandwich. It was, uh, it's, I've got these little medallions. So there's, there's like lean, my, 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 my stepson is into his bodybuilding and all the rest of it. So you've got these bacon medallions, which have got almost, almost no fat on them whatsoever. So they're quite healthy. Um, but I had that with, with a lovely wholemeal sandwich but topped it with a lovely fried egg as well and a nice a nice smattering of brown sauce. It's always got to be brown sauce with bacon. Ah, yes. And it's always, if it's a cooked breakfast of any way, shape or form, it's a cup of tea. Coffee coffee goes with your croissants and your donuts and your pastries. End of. 
<laughs> there we are. There's a man of principles. Absolutely. Uh, man of principles. And of course, the whole world is divided into you're either red or brown, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, well, you're with a cooked breakfast or anything of that nature, it's it's brown sauce. If it's bacon, it's brown sauce. If it's just sausages, then it's ketchup. <laughs> Got to be. <laughs> I can't go against that. No, right, this is I'm I'm with you really with you know cooked breakfast is definitely brown sauce. Yeah. Most other things, you're right, is ketchup. Yeah. Come on, Ben, what did you have today? Uh well, start off, I'm a ketchup man, sorry. Never a brown sauce man, so I'll, I'll upset everyone there. Um, and um, I think I'm gonna have to change. This didn't come up again. in the interview, you know. This yeah, did not come up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Don't you regret not asking me that five years ago? <laughs> How different things could be. Um, uh, I've had the same thing I've had every day, so I think I need before the next one, I need to spice things up a bit and not have porridge and a bit of fruit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to try and uh. Uh, you know, next time I go uh, shopping, see if I can find something random to have just to uh, spice up the conversation a bit. Well, I have to say today I had my special high protein because a bit like your stepson, I do like to do a bit of that. But you can't do it at the moment because all the gyms are shut. But I had my high protein wholemeal bread with peanut butter. Crunchy. That's the key crunchy peanut butter anyway that's enough bants on breakfast uh so of course we've got nick on because he's uh he works for moby bridge and i did visit your factory um a few months ago uh and uh with michael and uh, had, a, had a look around and it was Really, that gave me the idea we must get uh, either Michael, one of his team, on the podcast because there's some interesting stuff to talk about. Now, Ben um, is obviously one of our team. He's been on a number of these podcasts before, and he's he's the he's the guy who's absolutely passionate about offsite manufacturing and uh, new methods of construction, all of that stuff. So, Ben's probably going to ask most of the questions today. I'll have the odd interjection but I was, I was supposed, for those that don't know just tell us a bit about maybe bridge itself because it's got a bit of history recently hasn't it yeah yeah it's been an interesting year um for us indeed tim um maybe bridge for those that don't know we're a, a, a leading provider internationally of modular bridge solutions um, we we specialise in the supply of pre-engineered, uh, pre-designed, high-quality um, bridges, um, which enable um, accelerated construction, um, and they connect rural and urban um, populations globally. Um, so it, it, it all developed um, originally from the original Bailey Bridge. Um, we've taken those principles and we've developed them into more modern bridging systems, um, which are not only used in temporary applications um, that, that people associate modular pin truss bridges, but we also use them in permanent and semi-permanent applications as well. So it's a, it's a great system, uh, a great number of systems that we have. Um, they are they are equally at home in, in on on urban and and rural highways as they are on construction sites, mining sites, military applications, that sort of thing. Um, 
we we've been going for trace our history back to the original um to the bailey bridging and, and some other parts of the business have gone even further than that back to the um second servant crossing at, at brunel uh, built um back in 1856 i believe um but in the last year um we've become part of the acro family of companies acro have been doing very similar things to, to maybes over a similar sort of period and we've become part of that family just over a year ago now so the, the main benefit is instead of having two of the world's um, biggest suppliers of modular bridging competing against each other um, and, 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 and trying to fight each other commercially, um, we've actually joined forces. So everybody now has the, the, the benefit of, of the combined strengths of both Acro and maybe as, as one organisation going forward. So we've been learning an awful lot from each other um, over the past year and it's continued to do so, working really well. Let's go. I've just got a quick follow-up question because I was yeah. going to say, I mean, you the generic name for your product is a Bailey Bridge. Yeah. What's the history? Where, where, who was who was Bailey? So, so Donald Bailey um, was tasked with um, developing a modular bridge system during the Second World War. In 1942, he he invented this system. It had to have a number of principles to it. Number Number one, it had to be easy to build. It had to be built using unskilled labour. Number two, it had to be manhandleable. Number three, it had to be extremely versatile. So it had to be able to do a great number of bridges and a great number of applications with as few parts as possible. And number four, it had to be readily manufactured by virtually anybody in the country. And any sort of fabricator in the country could turn their, turn their hand to... Um, to building Bailey Bridges. It's a bit like how manufacturers now are, are, are now turning their hand to providing PPE and, and other things for, for this current crisis. This is going back uh, uh, 70 odd years ago, 80, 80 years nearly. Um, and those principles had, had to be something that could be built easily, manufactured easily and deployed into the most remote areas. And, and, and it then became um, a very successful bridge with thousands of kilometres of it being manufactured and built um, in the latter half of World War Two, and and since the what uh, the Second World War, it, it it's it's changed form. It, it's it's gone into the public domain. Um, there have been a number of suppliers of it originally, but that has whittled its the numbers of, of those have whittled down um, over the last few years or last last sort of fifteen years, and. Uh, and and it's it's developed. It's, it's sort of using the, the quick action pins and and people people um, associate Bailey bridges and original ones as these big saggy um, truss bridges. Um, they're, they're not like that necessarily anymore. The the pinned ones um, do still sag a little bit, um, but we've got a whole load of other solutions using preload high stress friction grip bolts, um, which are more associated with the conventional truss. Well. That's, that's, that's been fascinating for me. I'm an engineer. And, uh, of course, it's a generic term now, isn't it? Bailey Bridge. Mm. And uh, I've, I've used them once or twice myself in the past when I was an engineer and actually did stuff. Anyway, I'm going to ask, that, that's for the meat and potatoes of this uh, podcast, I mean, Ben's the passionate off-site guy. So over to you, Ben. 
No, no pressure now to uh, come up with uh, the the intelligent, insightful questions. <laughs> um, I mean, I've got uh, just a, a couple more questions about maybe. Um, uh, I've sort of heard of you, but um, uh, don't know maybe that well. Is everything that you do um, manufactured in Newport at the moment, or? Yeah, well, I live in Newport, and the factory is based in Lydney in Gloucestershire, so we're just over the border. Um, when I'm not in lockdown, I've got a nice sort of 40-minute commute um, up 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 the um, A48, up through Chepstow, and on and on into Gloucestershire. Um, so it's lovely, but everything is done from there. That's a lovely drive, I have to say. I've done it. It's a lovely drive. Yeah, you don't have to pay to get to come home. <laughs> Going that way. Well, funnily enough, I never did. Um, luckily, I just managed to skip past the bridges and I can sneak up the back without having to pay any money at all. So, the, the, no tolls anymore. It's great for most people, but uh, unfortunately, it makes no difference to me. And you guys, you um, uh, like you said, you're sort of a, a global business, aren't you? So, um, logistics must be yeah. quite a, a big thing for you guys. And I think that's one of the skill sets maybe that the industry um, overlook when it comes to sort of modern methods, off-site, things like that. It's not just about sort of, you know, building it and then pulling it together on-site. That whole, well, how do you get it there? When does it get there just in time and all that? That must take quite a, quite a lot of effort for, for you guys to make sure. Yeah, it's, it's something that thankfully we've got an awful lot of experience at. It, it's, you're right, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head that, you know, any you know, the, the stuff is simple enough to make um, if you've got the right equipment. Um, but but the, the real skill is in, in coordinating your activities and, and getting them all around the world as efficiently as possible. And, and I often wonder, are we, are we a global company or have we been a British company that, that exports extremely well? Um, I, I think certainly these days, we're definitely a global company. Um, but you're right, the, 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 the kit has to be packed as efficiently as possible into standard shipping containers. So for that reason, you'll, you'll find that any of our components are never longer than 11.9 metres. Um, because once you go longer than that, it won't fit in a standard ISO 40 foot container anymore. Mm. So, so yeah, we, we've got to detail all your products around some of those parameters. And... Um, oh. How long have um, uh, maybe sort of really focused on sort of the offsite provision, or is it something that's always been um, because of the specialised nature of the work, something you've been able to focus on, or was there sort of a turning point at some stage in maybe it's history that went actually we'd be better manufacturing them here and sort of putting them together on site in larger, more volumetric type? We've always done that. I've worked for maybe now just over thirty years. It's always been that way, as far as I can tell. Um, we've always been about um, exporting products globally. Um, the product was obviously designed originally, the original Bailey Bridge was designed in 1942 for exactly that purpose, get large volumes um, out into, into foreign territories as quickly as possible. Mm. And, and that hasn't changed. In the... Um uh, sort of housing uh, sector uh, more than any other area. Um, there's been a, a real perception issue with off-site. Um, mm. More, I think, in um, the way it looks rather than sort of the, the way it's uh, built. Uh, and that's had a, a bit of issue culturally in why people maybe have been uh, hesitant 
to um, to 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 get more on the um, the the MMC um, sort of conveyor. Uh, have, have you had any sort of clients over the years that have thought, "Well, I'm not sure that that's how I want things done." I guess with with such a specialist um, uh, product and service that you guys are providing, actually, you know, it's perfect, isn't it? You can just quickly sort of respond, bang them out, bang them together, and it's great. You probably don't get that the same way as other uh, parts of the market will. Um, you do a little bit. Um, I'll be honest. There are some people that say, "Yeah, it's a great product, but it's a Bailey Bridge," and, and, and uh, some people just don't like the look of them. They look functional, um, and we appreciate that it, it's it's not something everybody um, ideally would like to see as their their, their bridge structure. Um, to deal with that, we've actually developed a range of solutions. We actually have um, the Compact 200 is, is our pinned Bailey-esque type bridge um, and, and probably the most close, most direct descendant of the Bailey bridge. Um, and that's that's what people associate us with. It's our, our biggest seller. But separate to that, we've, we've developed a Delta Trust system, which is a very large um, spanning trust system capable of 99 meter single spans um, without intermediate supports. It's fully bolted. It has a much more elegant. It's it's got a, a like if you think of the the capital letter delta from the Greek alphabet. It's a, it's like a triangle on its side, and it's a truss that's made up of, of a series of those. It's still modular, but everything now is is fully preload bolted, so it doesn't have the sag. It's actually got pre camber to it. It actually is a much more elegant stru structure. Um, and for those people that don't like through-type trusses, um, we have two two-plate girder uh, bridge solutions. One one is an Atlas bridge, which is a, a a steel framework to support steel deck, and we've just recently developed a, a modular composite bridge system as well, with, which will take a concrete deck. For those people that don't like steel deck, so you can do modular, um, and you can do it as a as a thing of relative beauty, um, and you can actually provide a wide range of solutions. Um, to cater for those people that have pet hates of, of structure, certain structural formats. So have you seen any um, sort of change in the conversations you're having, um, so especially since uh, Farmers Modernise or Die report came out and there was this real sort of uptake and upsurge in we should be doing, or we rebranded it and we called it modern methods of construction to make it sound a little bit sexier <laughs> and sound a little bit more, more innovative and interesting. I mean, have you seen a shift now where you're having better conversations? Yes, definitely. Um, there's, there's been a number of projects. Um, I think uh, HS2 is, is one particular project, um, which I think will benefit tremendously from modular construction. Indeed, we're, we're starting to see the first shoots of, of success there as we speak. Um, so the, we're definitely having that conversation where people are, are rather than currently saying, Here's the gap. I want this, and I want this carriageway, and I want this width of of of, of footwalks. It's more about what can you do, what can you can what can you supply that can help us here, um, and, and people are more willing to tweak that the gap of the crossing a little bit to suit our modular bridge product. I've got a question on the modularisation because that was uh, had some very interesting conversations when I visited your factory uh, a few months ago. I mean, modular means modular, doesn't it? But of course, what's the? I'm sure you get people who ask for specials, do you? an extra, extra few hundred mil on the width or something. Yeah. 
What yeah. effect does that have on efficiency and quality when those sorts of requests are made? Very major, very major effect. And and if I'm honest, um, up until a few years ago, we um, we used to be a company who would accommodate those requests um, quite willingly because we could. With an engineering company, um, those sort of things we'd see as a, a challenge or a, or, a, or a puzzle to solve, and we'd go away and, and we'd solve them, and, and we'd be quite good at it. Um, but it, what we then realised was that, yeah, you know, we, we, we've got all these different solutions. Um, at one point, the, the, the transom, which goes um, between the two trusses on a, on a through-type bridge and supports the steel deck, um, at one point we had over 400 variants of those on, on our books because every time somebody came up with a slightly different requirement, we produce a slightly different solution. Um, and people could have any size of beam they want, any type of parapet connection they wanted, um, any sort of roadwood they wanted. And there was a myriad of, of um, components that we developed over, over the decades until we had a catalogue of, of hundreds of this one one piece. So we decided to, to, to sweep with a new broom and we standardised on our on our component offerings. Um, we do sell the catalogue. There, there are one or two people who who still um, who still want specials, mainly because they've always had them. Um, we do like to try and keep um, a, a level of service to good clients, um, but we do so um, in a much more um, controlled manner. So if people want specials. They can have specials, but they do take a lot of time. They do cost a lot of money. I mean, when you're making a special with deck, it's not about the the sixth special with decks that you're making for this one client. It, it's actually more about the 40 standard decks that you're not making in that time for others. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be a lot more cognizant of the fact that it is disruption, it is cost, and it does take longer. Um, I mean, if it's not a sort of a, a trade or commercially sensitive, but roughly, I mean, what is the cost? If somebody wants a, a custom width or something compared with your standard stuff, what's what's the, the multiple of the cost that you, you the ballpark? Yeah, honestly, don't know, but I I would have to guess. It would, it would be a guess, I'm afraid, Tim. I. I I, I, I deal in, in kilograms and tons, unfortunately, not so much in pounds and pence. Oh, I see, okay. I wonder if I may. <laughs> more, yeah. I, I'm sure um, often it's more than it's worth. I mean, um, I, I guess when you're when you um, you're asked to do a special, um, you know, the client should probably think to himself, well, do I really need that special? You, you know, why do they need that slightly longer width than what? You know, ninety-nine percent of people out there need. Is it really a requirement? And what are they asking themselves the wrong question to then be asking you something? Yeah, that, that's that's a different context. If if you if you put it that way, um, here's your choice. You can either have your special wood bridge. It'll cost you a little bit more, um, and it will take us um, a number of weeks to 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 get the the raw materials for that for that special part. We've then got to manufacture it and galvanize it and package it. Um, and, and you'll have it in, in 16 weeks time between raw material, lead time and fabrication, especially if you can't get the stuff from, from stockholders. Um, opposed to that, you have the standard with you can have it now. I've got it sat in the yard waiting to go into a container. Um, when would you like it? Um, and and, and we, we tend not to 
sell on cost, but we sell on ability to deliver. Um, that, that, after all, is the, um, the, the, the big benefit of modular construction. Um, by, by its nature, it's never designed for the purpose or the specific purpose you need it for. It can do a great many things. With, with, with that variation comes um, a little bit of excess on your natural design. But the benefit is very much that you have it now, you know what you're dealing with, safer product, you, 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 you've done away with the unknown. When you put all those things together, um, that's where the benefits really lie. Yeah, I mean, that certainty of, um, of timescales, delivery of quality and things like that, uh, the, sort of the, the common um, uh, sort of go-to benefits, uh, I guess, when we talk about modular. I mean, is there any others that um, you sometimes don't hear spoken about in, in the public realm when we're talking about the benefits of modular or um, you think sort of it's well covered normally? Yeah, one of the things that I think people miss and don't appreciate, and again, this maybe moves uh, as a result of maybe the way the industry has changed over the last 10 years. Um, a lot of people, if, if you send them a quote or, or an offer for a bridge, you give them a, a two-dimensional drawing of what the bridge looks like, a planned dimension, section. Um, great. Um, these days, with, with the development of CAD software, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, and the like, um, people are more into 3D images. And a lot of people nowadays want to know what their bridge will look like in, in sight. And this is something we're able to do with some very simple uh, augmented reality apps. We can build up 3D models of, of, of a modular bridge product because the, the, the models and the blocks that make up the modular have all been modeled three-dimensionally already in, 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 in software such as Inventor. Um, we can, in minutes, put together a 3D model tell a client to download an app on his mobile phone. He can go out to site, he can then put his, his mobile phone up on his, on his Greenfield or Brownfield site, download our model and then spin it and position it so he can see exactly what his bridge is going to look like on his, on his site before he's even put pen to paper on a contract. Um, that's a really powerful tool. The, the mm -hmm. visualization and, and the, the way that modular products lend themselves to BIM has, has been a real game changer. So you guys have um, really taken on BIM and sort of digital engineering and everything that provides you um, to, to really drive forward uh, over the last uh, couple of years? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, it's something that we do as second nature now. And how do you find that conversation um, when you're not working in the UK? Um, I mean, we um, uh, the UK have really driven a, a lot of good stuff with BIM. Um, over the last couple of years, you know, the mandate really made us push it forward. But can do you have, do you find the UK better, worse, or the same as some of the other countries that um, you deal with? Um, it, it, it varies. Um, there, there are some countries that are quite up on BIM, and they're, and they're really pleased to know we've got it. There are others that don't really know what we still talk about BIM and they what's what's that. So it's a bit of a mixed feast. Um, but, but at the end of the day, um, when, you, when you talk about UK standards and UK practices, I think um, it's still seen, even by those that don't necessarily do it themselves, it's still seen as um, best practice. And people are comforted by the fact that you indulge in best practice. 
So there is that kind of side benefit, if you like. Just having the badge makes yeah. people feel comfortable, mm -hmm. whether they actually truly understand the benefits that it creates for them or not. There's a little bit of that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, with um, so obviously um, we've not been able to to do this um, in, in person because of uh, everything that's going on uh, around the world with um, uh, COVID. And we actually had a, a bit of a conversation um, earlier this morning. Um, where the was it yesterday? The CPA came out with how um, uh, sort of some fairly sort of negative um, uh, predictions uh, around um, the the output of construction over the next few years. And a lot of that will be around um, what does social distancing look like? What do people need, want and require? Is sort of embracing offsite, will that help create a higher output compared to traditional methods with regards keeping social distancing and things like that? How have you adapted in your factory or have you not had to adapt in your factory because you don't necessarily need as many people and you can space them far easier within that environment? Um, I think we've been a little bit fortunate in that you, you've seen the factory, you know that people are generally well spaced as it is in there, um, but we have had to look at um, changing some of the, the practices, some of the accesses into the factory, changing some of the ways that, that we operate within the factory to make sure that people are able to maintain social distancing. So. It, it's it's required some adaptation. It's required a little bit of planning and, and, and management, um, but it hasn't had a, a major, majorly profound effect on us. Um, I think also um, we're we're a little bit fortunate insofar as that being being a, a global company, we're, we're quite used to um, communicating uh, through software such as Teams and Skype and and, and the like. With people in, in far-flung remote areas of the world so so it's just been more of an extension of that you know we we, we came we went into lockdown mid to late march and, and this has been my office since then i haven't gone in once um into the into the factory to do anything um so we, we we've been lucky we've had to adapt we, we we're thankful we've got the systems and the software in place to enable us to communicate and operate and tell the factory how many bits are needed for a particular job from home equally as well as we have in the office. So a bit of adaptation required, but it's not been a, a major effect for us. No, and I think a lot of companies had the software in place, but maybe it was the, the cultural thing that's had to change more so around the industry, isn't it? It's that people have always thought that you can't be productive working from home, you can't be productive unless you're all around a table having a conversation whereas it's really sort of been a, a shock to the system for a lot of people that actually you're probably more productive when you're not going into the office than when you are in the office. Yeah um, it, it's it's taken a, a slight change in mindset perhaps you know the, you, you don't have the one or two minute conversation with individuals um, over over uh, the water dispenser in the, in the, in the coffee area um, but everything is now a 15-minute <laughs> scheduled meeting, and um, which can take up your day. But but other than that, really, um, it, it's business as usual as far as I'm concerned. I do all my engineering, I do my designs, I talk to sales guys, I talk to clients, I talk to the guys in the shop floor. Um, I just have to schedule conversations a little bit better. 
But again, there's tools such as Skype that just enable you to see who's in, who's not, who's available. You click a button, you talk to them. It's, uh, it's fine. Well, I think on that note uh, of almost business as usual from maybe, uh, you found ways of coping with the lockdown. I have to draw this podcast to a close and thank Nick for uh, being a great guest and some insights into maybe and giving us a brief history of Sir Donald Bailey, who I suppose when he died, when you were still at university, he must have somehow passed the baton to you, Nick. And you've picked it up. Run with it. <laughs> you like how we did that? <laughs> so, We'll see if Sarah can sort of edit in an actual baton or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, but this is this is a you know it's a great bit of it's a great story anyway. It's a great bit of engineering continuity as well that this concept that came up in times of austerity, uh, in times of world peril, it's still playing its role now, and we're right in the middle of a biggest crisis since uh, the bridge was invented. So. It's, yeah, it's one of those great continuity stories and very interesting to see how the, the modern stuff is being applied to uh, a product which was conceived, as you say, nearly 80 years ago. Nick, thank you very much. And Ben, of course, uh, some great questions. And everyone else, I uh, hope you've enjoyed this podcast and join us on the next one. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Come to Invent for the highest R&D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.